Do you want a life filled with joy? I know I do. Tonight, I want us to return to Paul's letter to the Philippians, which um, over the years we have, we've looked at a number of times over the years. And I think it's such an important passage of Scripture that it's one of those things that we've just got to be keeping before us all the time. And uh, I was talking to the guys at Pulse on, on Wednesday night, and I was saying, if ever there's a verse that you want to commit to memory, this is one of the ones. This is one of those ones that you want to have up on your wall that you just remind yourself about all the time now there's heaps that we can learn from this section of god's word and uh, god-given joy which paul clearly possessed and he says that we can find it as well so let's let's have a look at at god's word it's philippians 4 verse 4 it says rejoice in the lord always i will say it again rejoice let your gentleness be evident to all the lord is near do not be anxious about anything, but in everything, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your request to God. And the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Finally, brothers, whatever is true, whatever is noble, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable, if anything is excellent or praiseworthy, think about such things. Whatever you've learned or received or heard from me or seen in me, put it into practice and the God of peace will be with you. Paul says, rejoice in the Lord always. I will say it again, rejoice. I have to confess, I've always found that verse a little bit like some of the stuff I was taught in Sunday school many years ago. Somewhat simplistic it can seem a bit naive. It just didn't seem to me to be based in the reality of life where bad stuff just kind of does happen. And it's really hard to be rejoicing. I mean, many of you, as I look around, probably know exactly the kind of things I'm talking about. Something has happened in your life either to you or to someone dear to you, and it's not good. It's, it's not good. There's nothing good about it, and it seems wrong to somehow try and diminish the awfulness, the, the, the rottenness of the situ situation by saying, well, the Bible says rejoice in the Lord always. So that's what I'm going to do. I'm going gonna to be joyful and hopefully all of this will go away. Thing is, it doesn't always just go away. It doesn't. Sometimes we're in a situation that is just awful and you can't actually see a light at the end of the tunnel. It's really hard. So what do we do? Because I just don't think we can start to throw out bits of the scriptures that are hard to understand and apply in our lives. I mean, if we're going to do that, let's just throw the whole thing out. Because either this is the word of God or it's not. I remember years ago, sitting in a Bible study group, and this girl next to me, I can't even remember the passage, but we're, we're coming along, and I suddenly became aware that she had torn this part out of her Bible. I said, what, what's that? I was just, she was sitting next to me and she said, oh, I can't stand that part. It's just so matter of fact, like, no, I don't like that bit. <laughs> Throw it out. Oh, we just can't do that. If you start doing that, the whole pack of cards, like the whole house of cards comes, comes crumbling down. So what do we do? How are we to understand Paul's words, rejoice in the Lord always, and how are we to apply them to our lives because Paul continually seems to come back to this whole business of being filled 
with joy and rejoicing in the Lord through all situations. And in fact, if you know anything about this book of Philippians, you'll know that people call it his kind of ode to joy, in a sense. Because, And if you preach through it, you preach a whole lot about joy in chapter 1, and then by chapter 4, which is normally about four weeks, three weeks later, you're coming back to it again. But I think, well, no, Paul keeps coming back to this. Well, I think we can find some help in looking at Paul's words from the verses just prior to these words. Context is always so important when we read the, read the Bible. The verses just before these, Paul says, where he says, Rejoice in the Lord always. He says this, this is verse 2, he said, I plead with Eudia and I plead with Syntyche to agree with each other in the Lord. Who is Eudia and, and Syntyche? They're just two women. Okay, They're just everyday names from the first century. Nothing special about them. Two women, I love this about the Bible, it is so planted in reality, isn't it? It's not these abstract kind of thoughts that are out there in nowhere land. These are two actual people and right in the context of when Paul is saying rejoice in the Lord always, he's saying I plead with Eudia and I plead with Syntyche to agree with each other just to get on. Yes, and I ask you, loyal yoke fellow, a yoke is what you put on some oxen, like he's saying, we're in this together, we're pulling together. I ask you, loyal yoke fellow, help these women who have contended at my side in the cause of the gospel, along with Clement and the rest of my fellow workers whose names are in the book of life. I mean, clearly, there's something going on. They've had a falling out, and it doesn't seem to be a minor thing either. Something significant has happened between these two women who Paul says contended at my side in the cause of the gospel so that these women are committed followers of Jesus. They're serving the Lord. They're working hard together. Yet something has happened that has caused disunity and yuckiness between them. You know, As I reflect on this passage, as I've searched through the scriptures, I've come to the conclusion as I look for answers that I think what Paul is saying is this. He's saying, always keep the big picture before you. That will give you perspective. The, the things which right now, which for the moment seem so hard and so difficult, ultimately in the light of what Christ has done for us, will lessen over time. In fact, they will probably disappear in time. Whatever these women were fighting over, when seen in the light of the big picture, wasn't such a big deal. Rejoice in the Lord always. I will say it again. And it's got an exclamation mark there. That means in the Greek it's this kind of it's like there's power in it. It's rejoice. Rejoice. He's telling us to do it. Let your gentleness be evident to all the Lord is near. Do you hear the underlying theme? Do you notice that little sentence? The Lord is near. The Lord is near. He is not distant. We need to remember this. He's not unconcerned, but rather he's always near. The Lord is always near. We've got to stand back and be thankful to God in all things. We've got to see the big picture. And we've got to know that he's with us. God will use all of it, the good and the bad, for our best. It's such a good thing, isn't it, to remember the Lord is near. Now, if Jesus walked in here in flesh and blood, or if Jesus walked into your your family at home, your home environment, or if Jesus walked into the, you know, the playground at school or at university or wherever you are, 
in flesh and blood. It probably would change the way we behave, wouldn't it? If Jesus was here in flesh and blood. I think Paul's wanting to just remind us, no, the Lord is near. He's with us all the time. And God will use all of this, whatever's going on, good or bad for you, for our best. Now, it says in Romans 8, 28, this is another cracker of a verse. You've just got to know in here, but also in here. Write it on your heart. And we know that in all things, in all things, God works for the good of those who love him and have been called according to his purpose. See, God is able to use everything the good and the bad, to achieve his purposes in us. And you know what? His purposes are always good, aren't they? God never has bad stuff planned for us. His purposes are always good. And I think that's why we can rejoice in the Lord always. In our trials, in our triumphs. Have a look at what Paul wrote to the Romans. He says, this is Romans 5 verse 3. He says, we can rejoice too. When we run into problems and trials, for we know that they are good for us. You get that? They are good for us. They help us to learn to endure. So that's our first thing. We must always strive to see the big picture and ask, why is God teaching me through this? So where else did Paul find joy? Because I really believe that we can find joy in exactly the same places. You see, this joy is not like, say, the joy, and it's a different kind of joy. I want you to get this really clear. This is not the kind of joy that we find in a day-to-day kind of basis in, in a worldly sense. You see, some people love football, don't they? they? They just love football. They could watch it all day. Rudy's been like that his whole life. Geordie's like that. They just love it. I've got to tell you, when I'm watching even the grand final. I can't help myself. I can't. My eyes just go and I start reading something. I, I just can't keep any attention. I tr- it's work for me to watch the football. But other people, they get so much joy from it. They love it. I know other people that will say to me, oh, Murray, I, I can barely stand to read a street sign. I have no joy from reading. But I've got to tell you, when I go home tonight, no matter what footy game's on or anything, I'll be just getting a book out and reading it because I find joy there. But I know a lot of... A lot of you don't at all. I mean, some people love that whole experience of roughing it and going camping. You know, I remember telling some people that, that we went with our family out to Nunes where there's, there's nothing. I mean, there's a pit toilet, but there's no running water, there's no showers, there's nothing. We were out there for two weeks with our family and we loved it. We could have stayed there another two weeks. But we have other friends who just, they just shudder when you tell them that. They're just going to go, oh. <laughs> One person said... We don't stay anywhere if it doesn't come with a complimentary bath towel. But we're, <laughs> we're not like that, Louise and I. We're, we're not, because we're all different. We all find joy in different places. I'm not talking about that kind of joy, okay? We're not. I'm talking about a supernatural, God-given joy that is actually found in the most unexpected places, and it's the kind of joy that... People who don't know God just look at you and they can't work it out. They can't work out how can you be joyous in the midst of this awful trial. So where did Paul find joy? Because it's good to start with the Bible and say, where? Because Paul writes this. He writes this 
It's the word of God, but Paul's the guy who writes it. So I want to ask, okay, where in Paul's other writings and the stuff like in Acts that Luke wrote that tells us about Paul, where did he find joy? Well, have a look. Paul found joy proclaiming the gospel, the good news about Jesus. And he found joy in doing that in the most adverse situations in a really nasty place for him. Philippians 1.18 says, The important thing is that in every way, whether from false motives or true, Christ is preached. And because of this, because of this, I rejoice. See, Paul found joy in telling people about Jesus. And he wasn't at all concerned that, that if others did it with wrong motives, he just loved the fact that people were hearing about Jesus. You don't know whether you've ever read through the book of Acts. I don't know whether you've ever done all that or whether you've ever thought, I'm going to go through the New Testament and I'm going to try to work out a bit of a timeline of Paul's life. If you want to kind of cut things down and make it a bit easier, just get any decent study Bible. I guarantee you they'll have a map there that will show you about the life of Paul. Have a look at what this guy went through. I mean, as he did this, as he told people about Jesus, as he travelled around, this guy had a wild ride. I mean, you think you've got it tough. Paul's life was insane. I mean, it's almost hard to believe what this guy went through and, and that he even survived. It is harder to believe that in the midst of all that, he was full of joy. He was. He was full of joy in the most horrendous situations. I mean, this guy was being flogged and chased out of town and shipwrecked and nearly drowned and he was stoned. You know, do you get that? They threw stones at him and they stopped when they thought he was dead. He got stoned a few times. They threw rocks at him till they went, yeah, no, he's at it. And they walked away. This is what he was going through. Why did Paul keep on going? What was his mission? To tell people about the love of Jesus. You know, you will find supernatural, God-given joy that doesn't make sense in just telling people apart from Jesus, about Jesus, apart from the fact that it's what we're commanded to do in the Lord. Remember, we're servants of the King. But it's also where you will find this crazy, doesn't-make-sense, God-given joy which Paul speaks about. You know, I have found that myself just this, this last week. I, I was coming from a really, really heavy you know, depressing situation over at the entrance where I'd, I'd been over there with some people in a pastoral care situation. I'm coming back through Tookley and it was just like this word just said, just pull in and go into the bookshop. Now, there's a little bookshop in Tookley there and I've kind of over the years talked a bit to the owner. I pulled in there and I won't go into the, all the, the details because it's private stuff, but I got to share with her some really great stuff about the Lord in the conversation. And I came back to the car and I've got to say, I thought, oh, wow, I feel better about things. Like, setting aside all the wonderful things about her hearing some great stuff about God and how it might be a life-changing thing, all of that, as a, you take that as a given, just to go, that was wonderful. That was wonderful for me. I kind of needed that. You will find joy in just telling people about the love of Jesus. Second thing is, Paul found joy in the unity of the church. 
the unity of the church. Remember, Philippians 2 says, Make my joy complete. Make my joy complete by being like-minded, having the same love, being one in spirit and purpose. You know, it is so important that we remain unified, not just because it's sinful and it breaks the heart of God, but also because that's where we find real joy, in just getting along with each other. You know, sadly, over the course of my life, I've been part of a couple of churches where there has been, I would say, systemic conflict that goes back for decades that they never really got on top of, they never really sorted out. And it's just this awful, nasty kind of fog that seems to be there amongst the relationships. Anything that causes disunity, I always tell people when they do Discovering Lakes, anything that causes disunity in the church, in the body of Christ, is a serious sin. So be very careful about causing disunity, about joining in anything that's going to break this fellowship apart. Joy, Paul says, make my joy complete by being like-minded. Thirdly, Paul found joy in the love of his brothers and sisters. He says in Philippians 4 verse 10, he says, I rejoice greatly in the Lord that at last you have renewed your concern for me. Joy is found in loving our brothers and sisters. And please, I know I've said this to you so many times, but I want to keep on reinforcing it because Hollywood tells you a completely different thing. Love is not just a feeling in fact love is primarily not a feeling in fact the greatest love often doesn't feel all that great when I mean the most wonderful image we have of the love of God for his world is the most excruciatingly painful image of Christ crucified on the cross so I'll say it to you again Love is a doing word. You don't feel love, you do love. So when we love one another, we do loving things for one another. And sometimes that is just as simple as, I will shut up and listen. I will put my agenda aside and I will be present to you, really present to you in whatever you're going through right now. It can be as simple as that. Okay, We do love. Joy is found in just loving one another. You know, I think one of the great examples of that is if you come up here early on a Sunday night and you'll see a whole lot of people in there preparing every week, preparing for this meal. They're putting in time ahead. And I've got to tell you, I don't ever remember seeing or hearing that kitchen in the afternoon be anything other than joy-filled. It's a happy, joyous place to be in there working together, doing love for us, for the rest of us. It really is. Number four, Paul found joy in praying for people. Philippians 1.4 says, In all my prayers for all of you, I always pray with joy, with joy because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now. Paul found joy in praying for his brothers and sisters. And I've got to say, I have found that myself. You know, one of a, a, just a great thing to do is 
we all pretty much have the photo directory, don't we, of our church. It's got everyone who comes to our church in there. Just if you're wondering how to do it, pull out the photo directory and just regularly go through it and pray for each person in the directory. Sometimes, probably more often than not, you'll come to a person and you'll think, I don't know what to pray for that person. Just lift them to the Lord and say, Lord, you know what they're going through. Bless them. Just go through and pray for them. Another thing you might do, how's this for a challenge? Go through your Facebook friends. Some people have 500, 900, 1,500 friends on Facebook. Just go through it. Pray for them, especially the ones who don't know Jesus yet. What a great way to find joy. What a great way to bless your friends. I find that really good. Okay, let's read a little recap. We can find joy in proclaiming the gospel boldly, regardless of the cost, just like Paul. Number two, being unified and of one mind. Number three, loving and serving one another. You'll find joy there. And number four, praying for one another. The next one really takes the cake, I think. Kids, don't try this one at home. But seriously, this is really amazing. Paul found joy in the prospect of becoming a martyr for Christ. Paul found joy in the prospect of dying for the sake of the gospel. That's what he says, chapter 2 of this letter. He says, but even if my life is being poured out like a drink offering to complete the sacrifice of your faithful service, that is, if I am to die for you, I will rejoice. And I want to share my joy with all of you, and you should be happy about this, and rejoice with me. Where's Paul writing this from? In prison. Paul's in chains in prison. Does anyone know what happened? What the end of the story is? Paul got his head cut off. <laughs> he didn't get out. <laughs> There's no happy ending in a sense. And what does he say? One of the last things he has written, be happy about it. Rejoice with me that I get to die for the sake of Christ. I mean, it's the most amazing image of joy, isn't it? That Paul was able to rejoice even in the fact that he was about to be killed for the sake of the gospel. Do you see what I mean about this crazy, God-given joy that just doesn't make sense? It doesn't. This guy is happy about the prospect of dying for the sake of Christ. This is the joy that's only found in an authentic, personal relationship with the living Lord Jesus Christ. It really is. You can't fake this. And it's the only joy that is independent of our circumstances. This is a very key point. This is independent of whatever you're going through. It's independent of your circumstances. Let me ask you tonight, have you got that kind of joy? Do you know that kind of joy? I know that heaps of you do. You live it out week after week, praise God. If you don't know that kind of joy, if that is completely foreign to you and you've never experienced it, and please, don't, don't think I'm standing up here saying, I'm bathing in this stuff all the time. I'm just marinating in the joy of the Lord. Everyone, anyone who knows me goes, no, that's not true. But every now and then, every now and then you get a glimpse of it, don't you? Every now and then you think, wow, that, that is really there. That's, that's real, that joy. 
And I actually see it more often in other people who are going through really hard stuff. That's where I see it. I'm not saying I'm living in this all the time, but I want to be. I really want to be. And I think it's a conscious choice to be saying, no, I want to look for where we find joy in the Bible. What are the hindrances? Because it's important that we work out what are the hurdles? Okay, What are the hindrances to this consistent God-given joy? I want to give you just a few suggestions here, which I believe we can overcome in the power of the Holy Spirit. And I think of a lot of the work of this life, it's a bit like, you know, I've said to you many times before, the work of this life is, life is losing the appetite for sin. I think a lot also of the work of this life is learning to overcome these hurdles so that jumping these hurdles just becomes natural for us. It's just second nature. Well, the first one is this. The first hurdle is memories of past failures. Memories of past failures and the awareness, the awareness of the present faults. As I've said to you lots of times before, don't let Satan play the tapes of past sins. Don't let him. He loves, he loves to play the tapes. It says you're such a loser because you did this. And he loves to play the tape over and over. And if you let him, it's a recipe for disaster. That can be a real trap. Don't spend the rest of your life saying, I've forgiven, but I'll never forget what that person did to me. I will never forget what that person did to me. Remember, it's not what you're eating that will kill you. It's what's eating you. It's not what you're eating. It is what's eating you. Believe me, I have talked to enough people who have spent decades living with unforgiveness and they cannot forgive this person who hurt them a long time ago and in some cases that person is dead and if you don't forgive them they do live rent free inside your head for the rest of your life they do if you want a recipe for joy forgive and move on but if you want a recipe for sadness if you want a recipe for just having an awful life Hold a grudge. Hold a grudge. You want a recipe for joy? Forgive them and move on for your sake. Remember that Paul gives us the answer. Philippians 3 says, I don't mean to say that I've already achieved these things or that I've already reached perfection, but I keep working towards that day when I will finally be all that Christ Jesus saved me for and wants me to be. You know, it says that for the joy set before him, Christ endured the cross. The joy set before him as he hung there. I don't believe for a moment Jesus is sitting up there remembering all the bad stuff that was done to him on the cross. He's living in the joy that was set before him whilst he was enduring it. And we've got to do the same thing. That's what it means to be Christ-like. That's what it means to grow up into the fullness, as it says in Ephesians, the fullness of Christ. You cannot do that and hold a grudge. You cannot do that and hold unforgiveness in your heart. Forget the past failures. Continue to reach on to future successes. 
Second hindrance to consistent joy is that many people simply have a natural temperament or a disposition towards melancholy. Some people are just naturally happy all the time. They're happy-go-lucky, they're joyful people, but other people have a predisposition towards being glum. That's me. Just ask Louise. (laughs) Ask my kids. Others can be generally down because of the way life has treated them. I'm not for a moment suggesting that some of you haven't been through some really hard times. But Paul says, don't copy the behaviour and customs of this world, but let God, get this, transform you into a new new person. How? By transforming the way you think. What you think about. Then you will know what God wants you to do and you will know how good and pleasing and perfect his, his will really is for you. You remember the second part of our passage? We won't go through it in detail, but he says, whatever's great, whatever is praiseworthy, whatever's excellent, whatever is pure and godly, Think about these things. Fill your mind with that stuff. Because what you think about really does matter. Let God transform you into a new person by changing the way you think. Now you may, like me, have a natural tendency to be a bit down. But God makes He always meets us where we are. And he loves us where we are. But just remember this, God loves you too much to let you stay where you are. He meets us where we are, but he loves you too much to let you stay there. He wants to move you on. When we walk with Jesus, there is no excuse for being down all the time. Let God transform the very things you think about and he will produce in you the fruit of the Spirit which I'm sure you'll notice includes joy. Paul says, Galatians 5, but when the Holy Spirit controls our life, he produces this kind of fruit in us. Now just remember, it's actually one fruit. It's not like there's a whole lot of different fruits. The Greek's really clear. It's actually one fruit. So think of it like one fruit with a whole lot of nice flavours, aromas, that are all packed into this one fruit that you don't produce. That's important. Get that. You don't produce it. The Holy Spirit produces this in your life when you let him. Love. You're going to love where you just think, how can I love this person? But I do. God allows me to love this person. Joy, number two. Peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness and self-control. See, when you walk through life with Jesus, there's no excuse for being down all the time because his Holy Spirit gives us this really cool joy, this fruit. Number three, another hindrance to joy is depressing circumstances. You know, it's easy to be joyful when everything's going well, when the bills are being paid, when the family's healthy, when you've got a good stable job, which you love, when you're in a good group at school with people you really like. Joy in those times is really easy. But... The real test comes when the bills are mounting up, when the kids are sick, when you've lost your job and there doesn't seem to be any hope of getting another job all that soon, when you've got no friends at school, you seem to be alone, when the doctor tells you that this is palliative care. This is palliative care that you're receiving and there simply isn't anything more to be done. That's when the real test comes, when those hard things happen. However, 
we see from the scriptures that even these hard times can be times of rejoicing if you have the right perspective. It always comes down to your perspective. James says, dear brothers and sisters, when troubles come, when troubles come your way, let it be, do you see that, an opportunity for what? An opportunity for joy. He says that. For when your faith is tested, your endurance has a chance to grow. So let it grow. In other words, let the hard times come. That's what he's saying. And when your endurance is fully developed, you'll be strong in character and ready for anything. Look for God in the little things. Always look for something to praise God for, whatever your circumstances, and you'll be filled with joy. You know, when we built our house at Little Hartley, that's it there. That's just to show that we really did live at the bottom of the rainbow. <laughs> we were building this, this shed just there behind the tree, and we were staying in this house, and everything seemed to be going to plan, and we thought we'll move out there at this certain time, and then suddenly the owner of the house came and said, I, I'm selling the place, you need to move out. And so uh, I'm thinking, you're kidding, We'd actually it's kind of winter, we don't have an end in the shed, it's out in the middle of nowhere, there's no running water. When we moved out there, there's a whole story, isn't there, Rudy, about how we got the water <laughs> tank in the ground. and It was really quite funny because Rudy fell in. And then we couldn't get him out of the tank. Anyway, I won't go there. But when we moved out there, I'm serious, there was no toilet. The toilet was a fork, a tree that had fallen down the hill, and it was a fork. And then we got a porta potty. And I'll tell you what, you end up changing the porta potty, potty pretty regularly when you've got a whole family there. It was hard. There's no clothesline. We had little kids. We had no walls in the shed. The shower was there. You could have this shower unit, but that was in the middle of nowhere. So you could stand in the shower, look at the telly, and Louise would be cooking in the, what was going to be the kitchen just there. And people would say, you can't go to the Shanks' house because there's no door on the toilet. i say, oh, come on, there's a curtain. That's when we finally got... But it was hard, wasn't it? People said, I don't know how your wife stayed with you. But we loved the adventure. But I tell you what, when we look back now, and I'm sure our kids, Geordie was only a bub, so he doesn't remember, but the other kids would say that was amongst some of the most joyful, wonderful times. Wasn't it, Loz? Where's Loz gone? Yeah, she's nodding out there. Yeah, we've had. So sometimes we've just got to look at life and say life is an adventure, isn't it? You've got to look for the adventure in life. And I mean that when you follow God, like Paul and like all these hundreds, thousands of people over the years, over the centuries have discovered. Following God can be a bit like trying to catch the wind. You think, oh, he's leading there, and then suddenly, oh, no, he's over there, and he's here, and on the way, you're having all these joyful experiences. Following God can be a little bit like trying to catch the wind. It really can. So have you found yourself, be honest with yourself, going through life without abiding, consistent joy that Paul has and that Peter calls inexpressible? Maybe you need to seek true peace with God. Maybe you need to realise that God is there to help with temptation and to provide a way out. Maybe you need to remember that God has promised he will never, ever leave you or forsake you. Maybe you keep on allowing Satan to remind you of your past sins or the bad things that were done to you. Don't, don't allow him to do that. Keep on saying, 
Keep on saying to Satan, I am not having this conversation. I'm not. I'm not having this conversation. Go away. Go away and then have a conversation with God. That's the trick. Say, I'm not having this conversation when he wants to play the tapes, but then have a conversation with God. The Bible calls that prayer. Just talk to God. He hates that. He hates that. You know, I was sharing the gospel with someone during the week and they said to me, they go, go, oh, no, no, I've always, I've always believed in God and I've always been really sure that I've got a very pure spirit. And as this is happening, I'm starting to think, yeah, I don't know whether you're really there yet. I'm, I'm just gently talking to them about And then, you know what was really interesting? They said, oh, I just can't stand this. And then her voice changed and she said, I can't stand this whole Jesus stuff. Jesus on the cross. Oh, it's awful. I thought, yeah, you're not, you don't have this joy. You might say you believe in God. You might say, oh, yeah, I like reading the Bible. I don't think she really does, ever. You can be seriously deluded. But it's interesting, you know, at the name of Jesus, at the idea of Jesus dying on the cross? The idea of Jesus being the Son of God? Oh, she found that just awful. So the first thing, you've got to get right with God. You do. You're not going to find any of this if you're not in right relationship with God. Because believe me, that, that lady has not any peace her whole life. And that really, in that conversation, it showed me where the core of her problem is. She's not right with God. She's not. So that's the first thing before anything else. You've got to come into a real relationship with God. That's not about coming to church. That's about walking with Jesus and knowing that he's forgiven your sins. In order for that to happen, you've got to say, Jesus, I'm sorry and I want you to cleanse me. I want you to wash me clean. Help me turn my life around. Come and live within me. That is the first step and then all the other stuff I've talked about. So let's pray together maybe you're sitting here tonight and you're thinking to yourself well I want that kind of joy but I'm just not really sure that I'm right with God and I, I want to get this sorted right now let me tell you no one's here by accident maybe this is your night maybe this is part of the journey for you of just getting into relationship with Jesus you might like to just pray Along with me, you don't have to say anything out loud. You can just let me give you some words. And if you agree with that, you can say, yes, Lord. Yeah, that's what I want to say. Dear Lord Jesus, I am sorry for all the times that I've wanted to go my own way. I'm sorry about that. And I can see that I need to turn my life around and walk away from the direction I'm heading and walk back to you. Help me to turn. Help me to turn towards you. And Lord, I ask that you would come into my life. You would give me that fruit of the Spirit. You would produce that in me. You would wipe away all the sin of my past, all the sin of my future. And you would start me on a journey where you're going to make me, day after day, a little bit more like you. Lord, I thank you for saving me. I want to turn around white right now and be a different person. 
And for all of us here who've maybe walked with you, Lord, for years, I pray that your word would speak to us tonight and that you would remind us time and time again of these places where we find real abiding joy. Thank you, Lord, for this deeply mysterious joy that transcends our circumstances. And Lord, now as we come to enjoy dinner together, Lord, we thank you for those who've worked this afternoon preparing this meal to bless us. Lord, we thank you for this food and we just pray you bless this time to us now in Jesus' name. Amen.